Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to the Film Realist Podcast, the film and TV podcast from a complete nobody. That's hopefully for somebody. Today's episode will be a review of Shazam! Fury of the Gods, as well as reacting to the first director, officially, of the DCU. And to talk about all these things, I am joined by Screen Rants, Snyder Minutes. I was trying to figure out exactly how to quantify your presence. Like, are you just special returning guest star? (laughs) Like, I... (laughs) Whatever it or, works. Or uh, DC correspondent Stephen Colbert. Like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Either work, right? Wh- whichever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. S- uh, yeah. Uh, Stephen Colbert is here. Thank you for coming back. We did kind of pencil it in, but now it's it's in ink. We're here. To talk about the DCEU and DCU. Yeah. A really, really interesting pivot point uh, we, mm-hmm. we find ourselves at right now. <laughs> yes. So... Let's just get into it. We now officially have a director of the first project. Officially, there has been some rumors as to who may be involved with. I almost said the Sandman Swamp Thing. (laughs) Well, no, there's a there's multiple DC Sandman, but that's not what we're talking about today. I might actually have to get Netflix for season two when that comes out in two years. Um, I almost said Swamp Thing again. Superman Legacy has a director and a writer, James Gunn, is going to be doing double duty. This may have only been announced because Tom King may or may not have leaked it earlier in the week. (laughs) But regardless, the vision for what this first major film in the DC reset now has more concrete creatives behind it. I know we talked about before when James Gunn was hired, as well as what could of been happening and what might have been movie Twitter bulletproof, but we're not at that point anymore. <laughs> we're now with James Gunn, who is the head creative and he's taking full reign with the Superman film. Yeah. Anyone that listened any... to that episode where I was like, here's the bulletproof plan for this movie. is like, why are you even having this guy back? That's not at all what happened. <laughs> you know what? If anyone gets upset with speculation, they're missing out because that is some of the most fun. It can be some of the most disappointing when mm-hmm. those things don't happen. But regardless, this film universe, which is now in, will be starting over, but DC Comics have had multiple phases of, we almost had a Justice League movie in the mid-2010s. So, with an entirely different cast than the other films that were happening beforehand. But that's not where we are now. So James Gunn directing, I think my initial reaction is just curiosity. I know that your co-host of your Snyder Minute podcast, Andrew Dice, has talked about that not meaning anything. And we talked about this before we started recording about in that announcement, what had significant descriptions and what was, it's part of the shared universe. But in this case, there wasn't very much discussed about this film, except for the release date, which I guess is very close to James Gunn's um father's birthday who passed away a couple years back and i know james has publicly talked about just realizing that recently and it was not sean who brought it up i think it was his other brother might have been matt yeah and my initial reaction to this is curiosity because i'll be the first to admit it i i thought guardians of the galaxy one still to this point is what i believe the best 
comic book film that James Gunn has directed. Ironically, we'll never know exactly what his involvement and the previous screenwriter's involvement was. I don't know if that comes down to Writers Guild of America rulings because they're both listed as screenwriters on that. But as James Gunn has had more control with his films, specifically with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, The Suicide Squad, Peacemaker moving forward, as well as obviously the whole universe to some degree. And I get Brightburn and did he do that other, the zombie movie in World War II? The zombie World War II. Oh, uh, no, that was J.J. Abrams. That was J.J. Abrams. Yeah. At, there's not Over, enough lens uh, flare. Um, what was that called? That was good. That was pretty good. But yeah, that um, was, I think it was J.J. Abrams is the one you're thinking of, though. Yes, I think you're right. It was J.J. Abrams. So what exactly this is going to be, I have no idea. In terms of my enthusiasm, I want to lean towards optimism because otherwise... I'm just going to be grumpy until this fingers crossed doesn't fall apart. This at this universe as a whole, given the fact that DC DC clearly has not stepped in the right direction. I think it's really interesting. We're starting with a Superman movie again, but until we have a lead and some idea of what this movie is going to be. And given the fact that James Gunn is very active on Twitter and social media and just in dispelling any rumors and giving facts and answering the occasional fan question outside of hopeful Superman who has to deal with aristocratic Kryptonian parents and farmers from Kansas. That doesn't really identify anything. And as somebody who watched all 10 years of Smallville, that was a a good story element, but that doesn't distinctly describe a unique vision for this character. Yeah, well, that was also such a huge part of of what Man of Steel was, right? I mean, literally the conflicting fatherly advice he's getting from Jor-El versus what he's getting from Jonathan Kent. And um, and I don't know. that I don't want to say that he's just copying Man of Steel because that's – I think that, you know, oh, it's an origin story for Superman. Or it's not an origin story, but it's like, oh, it's a it's a – Superman story and so the, you know these are all elements that are like part of that mythos so of course he's going to draw from things that have been done before what be it Smallville or Man of Steel or the you know obviously the comics are a huge influence which comics though Steven because that's what I'm most curious about <laughs> yeah because all-star Superman in tone I understand like using that to describe tone it's this I'm not going to be the first to say it I've heard it already a lot of people are talking about there's a lot of Grant Morrison Mm-hmm. in these pitches for these films, which phenomenal writer. I'm fine work, with that. Yeah. Yeah. Their work in the DC universe is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like all the characters that they've been able to do distinctly in with their particular vision, but that story. And I, it's most interesting to me because we talked about this on a previous DC episode that that particular comic book has already been adapted to animation. Mm-hmm. So there are elements of this. Ironically, also Damian Wayne was brought in, but that was because of he was the most recent Robin. And obviously we're going to be getting Damian Wayne. Everybody's favorite. <laughs> I oh, I can't stand him. But the impact of the Superman all-star story does touch on Superman's legacy and his relationships with multiple different characters. As 
somebody who did enjoy Batman versus Superman, one of the critical elements from a lot of the fandom was, well, you just rushed to do Death of Superman. I'm not going to tell you how All-Star <laughs> Superman ends, but I uh, it might be similar yeah. in, uh, in what happens. So, like, I I just want to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and my my biggest thing, too, is is what um, as a as a writer, it's one thing as a director, it's another another thing. I, I believe that Gunn really wants to prove himself in a way. Not that he has anything to prove as, you know, he's a very successful comic book director. It's not like his, his name is reputation, but I think that he knows that he isn't taken as, as seriously as a, like, he's still a, he's still that guy that came from trauma that had some big, um, that had some big superhero movies, but as the, as the the co-CEO of DC studios and he's going to be directing a Superman movie, I don't. A lot of people are worried about him like doing it the way he did Suicide Squad or the way he did Guardians. And I don't I think that he expects or anticipates to um to to evolve himself and to prove himself as a as a a you know, quote unquote serious filmmaker with this is my my kind of hope hope or expectation. Whether or not he sticks to that and can can pull it off. I have no idea. Like, I don't expect Superman to be making fart jokes or anything, but there are elements. It's a pretty tight suit. <laughs> be noticeable. Yeah, but like there are there are things you start to think about where it's like how I don't know. Like there's like tonally and you know story is is you know whatever. But um, I mean the fact that he it would be another thing. I'm not as as sore about him getting rid of Cavill because I think as as we talked about before, like what what did anybody expect? Like this is just kind of where they are. They just gotta they gotta make some hard hard calls. Except for the fact of who continues. That's the part that I haven't planted my stake yet on. Like I'm not. I mean I'm I want to be on board. I love the DC canon and the, like the care the plethora of characters. But mm-hmm. who continues to move forward, regardless of quality? And obviously, I know I'm in the minority when it comes to peacemaker reactions. But if it's just the stuff he's played with, I think. I don't want to say pessimistic because I don't feel that way, but it would be much easier for everyone if it was like we talked about what it should have probably been after theatrical November 2017. Yeah. Wipe it clean. Like these vestigial characters that, and I understand why some of them were cast really well, but like a Waller show of Peacemaker season two is coming. He just has no time. Mm-hmm. I like think, not- I think it's, it's really, really easy to, to judge or be skeptical of this stuff on, on on our end um and because i i i don't want to say i'm in the same place but very much understand that kind of criticism or frustration but having been um i mean never in like james Gunn's shoes but i mean i've been in positions before where it's like look i've got an idea here and people just need to wait and see it out <laughs> before you know and, and you can't you can't tell you know he can't just come out and say don't worry everybody this is what's going to happen and it all makes sense eventually 
he's just he's got to prove it. And so I'm going to give him a chance to be like, okay, show me why this is necessary. And I I know that hypothetically there's a good answer out there somewhere. So I'm not going to criticize him for not having a good reason for picking and choosing who to reboot and who to not reboot until he says, here is why I did it this way. Um, and it's a good possibility. I'll say like, well, you, you could have just stuck with Cavill or, well, you could have gotten rid of everybody. Um, but I, I try to withhold my judgment on what cards are in his deck until he puts them on the table. Yeah, that's fair. I think that there are characters that I would really prefer that main that continue. And part of me that is disappointed is if they were going to do something fresh and unique, it's ironic given what was laid out in the Snyder version of the Superman story that you title a film like Superman legacy one of the most interesting things and I find the most similar and this again, not an original idea, but I did have it separately was that the fact that you have Batman who has a kid who's got to be old enough to be a, a capable Robin, which Mm -hmm. automatically gives you Batman in his prime, not fresh, not super old, but still has had a career that I would have been. And I know this is, you're listening to my podcast, not you. You're on it. I don't know if you're going to listen to it afterwards, but um, <laughs> if you had Cavill, you want to do something really interesting. What about a Superman who's d- been in pa- not past his prime, but has had a career as Superman. If you look at the pantheon of Superman films, we've never had that. Every version of a Superman film is always starting from scratch. And I understand that to some degree, if you were starting over, but you have the Donners, which are technically five movies if you include Superman Returns. Then obviously you have Man of Steel, which is starting fresh. What about a Superman that's actually been in the universe on or been like in the DC universe who's a father? Yeah. There you're automatically doing something that is completely unlike anything people have seen in film. I don't mean to discredit Superman and Lois. That's one of my favorite things they've done. That's actually original. And Mm -hmm. I'm not, um, that's not a shot at Superman and Lois. They've done some very fun things. I fell off once it turned out that it was not part of the Arrowverse anymore, which is a little frustrating, even though it's the exact same actor, but regardless, that's what they wanted to do for their specific pocket. I'm not watching anymore, but that is something we've only seen the once. If I'm including Superman and Lois and you could keep Cavill like and Superman is one of those characters in a lot of different canon. If you go back to the DC animated universe, he's Superman for a long time. Yeah. He doesn't have to be 30. I think the the problem with the, the Cavill thing and the reason that I can sympathize with with the baggage, just dumping the baggage there is that you look at, like, for example, the Waller show. They can do whatever they want with that character and nobody's going to come being angry about the decisions. They're not going to be like, oh, you changed her arc or whatever but with She's in a pink suit now but with an orange with cavill either you just you continue the snyder stuff at which point you you're just you 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 bring that all back and you got a bunch of people mad that you didn't jettison all of that or you don't stick you 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 keep cavill but you don't stick to the snyder stuff in which case you got a bunch of people that are mad and like that you're you're you get in this situation where like 
the reason they ended up here in the first place was just by kicking that can down the road over and over and over again. Um, but did they? Keep, and, they didn't kick the can. They buried it in dirt and hoped nobody would look for the can. Yeah. And then we kept digging up the can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's well because the can was Superman, and they're like, "What? What Superman?" And we're like, "You the bigot? You the the DC character that you buried it?" Well, one of that. Well, he's. Uh, of the top yeah, three. Yeah, the action comics character, whatever. The action comics character, yes. Um, and, One of the creators was Canadian. And um, so, and I don't know, that's not me. You know, I, if I could, if I could lay this all out, I would want the version that we just see the rest of what Snyder had going on. But as a, as an executive who has to make a decision about like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, like, why are you going to tell the remaining, like, no matter what you're doing with that story, it's someone else's table scraps that people are going to be mad at guaranteed, no matter what. Whereas if everyone's going to be mad, no matter what, then just tell the story that you want to tell instead of wasting time with a story. That's just going to make people mad. That's continuing things that already made people mad last time it happened. Um, so yeah, that's fair. It well, doesn't, doesn't make it a like good fan. decision. It just makes it like, you know, it's, it's a, it's Kobayashi Maru. Like you just got to, like that's the only thing you can really do without like true whichever yeah. cope well i guess technically the only time we've seen it in any star trek canon was the 09 film because it was just referenced in tos i'll i'll be honest i only know the phrase i i, I do not watch star trek <laughs> well i'm so if there's a star trek fan listening that uh knows that i got that wrong totally fair I've never seen TOS, but I know reading the trivia for the 09 film <laughs> from the Kelvin timeline, I believe that one of the reasons they did it was because it's it's something referenced and had been unseen in the original mm-hmm. show. Regardless, uh, it's too bad they never made a fourth film. Yeah. But the I know you're not you don't like fan casting, so I'm not gonna ask you to do that. I'm not gonna pitch somebody because they could literally be anybody and an unknown. So that's entirely possible. What I'm very curious about, because James Gunn talked about this reset, which we're getting in about three months, under three months now, which is crazy. The Flash is going to come out and the television series is celebrating its 38th season. Um, Feels like it sometimes that I'm very curious if any of the people they have lined up, because in the announcement, they say that people are going to be in these in animation, video games, films, TV, which is. SAG contracts unlike anything probably <laughs> ever done before. I can't yeah. even imagine the legal teams that are involved in that. I'm very curious, particularly because of the impact of Krypton on the DCU as a whole with two films being the first portion of chapter one, gods and monsters. I love that title. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Although it constantly makes me think of again, another home video film <laughs> that was a parallel earth in the style of Bruce Tim's artwork, but about evil versions of those characters that weren't Bruce, Diana or Clark. It's very cool. I highly recommend you check it out. It might be on HBO max. It might be not. I don't know, but because those characters are so important and this film realistically has to start shooting soon ish that maybe with the reset, we get to see maybe a tease as to who's cast. I don't know. It's, that's just me being optimistic because having some idea of where we're going, I would just love to have somebody to identify with this. It doesn't even need to be the suit. That can just be somebody's face. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting. Yeah. And that's a weird thing because, um, suppose 
I don't know. I don't want to get into, into too many leaks, but there, I guess it's been reported that there there was a Cavill um, cameo of sorts in the Flash that may or may not be in it anymore. Um, and and so yeah, you got to wonder: do they did they remove? I don't see what's wrong with just including it in there because he's he's part of the unit. Well, like, <laughs> we'll get to a potential cameo in the in the review of this, which again. Unknown as to who gets well, we know Cavill's not moving forward, right? But we right. don't have any. Well, but it's a multiverse specific... movie, so I'm saying like, what, like, why yeah. not just like, like you, you can't just erase part of the just change the multiverse and reference what anyway, whatever. But we'll we'll see what they do with that. I hope the cameo, if it happens, references. I don't know if Andy Machete watches a lot of YouTube, but if it references like the superhero cafe and <laughs> it's just Henry Cavill and. Ben Affleck in suits drinking coffee. Oh, that would be amazing. It'd be incredible. And he'd be yeah. like, I heard in one version, I had a kid with Lois. <laughs> like, just hammer it home. And yeah. it would be incredible. I would be actually just specifically chose if you're seeing any of these clips on online to not wear a Snyderverse shirt. Because I've realized I've done that every time we've talked about <laughs> stuff. And I don't, I don't, not necessarily paint. I'm a Snyder fan. I've got the stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's there's more information, but there's st- there's the more important information in terms of this film. We still don't know. We don't like tone. We have an idea, but they didn't reference anything like they did with other stuff, which would still doesn't necessarily help. But I guess all star Superman is pretty much all we have to go on. And James Gunn is directing it like that's all. That's all we got. Yeah. Which in the AI yeah, and that. The fact, if it was anything else, I mean, if it was Swamp Thing or whatever, I'd say, oh, I think I know what to expect from this. But since my impression of this is James Gunn saying, like, okay, let me show you what I can really do, I have no idea what that means. Um, Because that could be him showing us something aside that we haven't seen before. That could be him stumbling in a big way because he just is taking on too much. And I, I don't know... I'm not predicting other any one of those. I'm just saying I this is a part he's doing something that we have never tonally and um ambi- in terms of ambition that that we I don't think we've seen him um try to execute before and so I'm very curious to see what comes out of it. I'm most excited because I think one of the aspects of his films that has been a significant carry through and I think has only improved with time is his sincere treatment of sentiment and like family connection has, I believe has got only gotten better over time. Mm-hmm. The rat catcher sequence, particularly in the suicide squad, I thought was really well executed before we jump into the the review. I do have one last question for you. Yeah. has nothing to do with casting. <laughs> do we get the red underpants? I think we do. Uh, I was just going to make a joke about that. That's <laughs> because we know so little. That's the biggest thing anyone can argue about. I, I don't care. Um, no, do you think we get them? Yes or no? I, um, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm choosing I, neither. You I, don't know I, 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 I have put so much effort into not having an opinion on that just because it's, um, I, if I had to like gun to my head, I would say, uh, pun. um, <laughs> no pun, no pun intended. I, I would say, I bet we'll get multiple looks. Um, we'll get like a few, a few different designs maybe with inc- trunks and not trunks. 
it's mm-hmm. it's such a weird battle line that has been created for I don't think a very good reason that it's like now a political statement. If like like it becomes like the Superman suit comes out and there's trunks or it's not trunks, everyone's gonna have a opinion on the entire movie based on that first costume reveal. And it's like I don't. It'll be a pretty stellar photo though. If anything, I mean that is certainly one aspect that I remember seeing that Man of Steel safe photo mm-hmm. clay must have taken that right i believe so right we, who else would have i guess but i would say in feature films there hasn't been a bad one you could argue the superman return suit was over designed mm-hmm. but given we talk about it being different i would put my money and we're getting the shorts Sim- closer to the design of like superman returns in terms of the red underpants that would be where what i would gambling on that just because it's again it's something that's different if they're going for different right like maybe paul kent doesn't die in this version yeah right it could be a bunch of different things uh one i i'm gonna just keep going last thing beforehand i'm very curious because we talk about like different origins if in this version well i know it's not an origin story flashbacks are a popular aspect of the medium regardless of when it takes place in the characters careers if we're going to get a version similar to superman of tomorrow where he wears like disguise yeah like goggles i think earth one is where that became or i was going to say a uh maybe a controversial one but just because of the writer but american alien or like something like that Mm -hmm. yeah certainly possible Mm -hmm. so i'm very curious about that but obviously james will be the if you want to know what's going on with the DCU, follow James Gunn on social media. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's the source. There's You don't have to go through anybody, and he'll tell you if what you're saying is wrong. <laughs> yeah. So that's, again, if there's more to talk about, you you can hear it here. Or if there's a lengthy discussion, I'm sure Stephen will do it on his podcast as well. Let's move into the feature film review of the week with Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Shazam! Fury of the Gods, again directed by David F. Sandberg and written by Henry Gaiden and Chris Morgan. It's hard to believe that the first one came out four years ago, almost to the day. That blew my mind. I looked that up today and didn't realize it had been that long. So there will be a non-spoiler section discussing the film, and then there will be a spoiler discussion talking about all the nitty-gritty details So if you want to jump around, time codes are going to be in the description. So non-spoilers for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. What did you think of the film? Uh, I enjoyed it. It, the, I'm, the, the first one was always interesting to me because I felt like there, there were, there were two kind of polarized reactions to it where there was a whole bunch of like hyper positive. This is what everything in the DCU should be. And then there was a, a whole bunch of like, oh, this flies in the face of the Snyder stuff. And I thought it was really weird because it it struck this really crazy. I think the Amblin 80s comparisons I've seen is really the most accurate where it's 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 like, oh, yeah, no, it's a kid's movie, but also people melt. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, a guy's eye gets ripped out of his face. Yeah, exactly. Where like I feel like more modern kids movies don't don't do that part um and and so this one kind of reminded me a lot of that where it's very 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 much a a 
kids, young adolescent movie, but not in a, but like it takes itself seriously enough to be like, like I, I really want, like, I think my, my seven-year-old is going to love it. He, he enjoyed the first one. And I think he's really going to dig this one because it feels more serious than a lot of the stuff that he might normally watch, but also it's ultimately um, not really that high stakes or, or not really so intense that he couldn't handle it. But there are some parts that like might be a little bit scary still. Um, I, so, I think that's fair. The, yeah. I think, I think sorry, the, the first act was like really boring. Boring is not that like slow. Like I was enjoying myself, but I was not particularly like ratcheted <laughs> by anything. Um, but I did think that the third act was far better than it, it had business being given how it wasn't it was it was generic in many levels, but like very charming and enjoyable. I couldn't believe there was a blue sky being <laughs> Yeah. There may or may not have been. We'll get into it with spoilers. I I really enjoyed the first one. Amblin is the everyone talks about it's the best description of that because it falls into that not to say exactly what you just said but i completely agree where it's got edge for a family film which is is very rare even films that are aimed typically at younger audiences force their way into that pg rating because films that are only g rated now typically seem to be maligned for being just for kids like mm-hmm. frozen 2 has a pg rating which is ridiculous given the actual content yeah. of the film well it's like all those Amblin movies came out when when pg was well, there was no PG there was no PG thirteen yet, and so you would so you would have like this weird slide into like what would be PG thirteen today, but they weren't quite so scrupulous about like like today you'll have to make a decision like ooh do we include the cussing or not because that'll push it over the line. But back then it was like oh yeah no there's PG and then there's R so like there was just this huge. Um, well, it's funny we're talking about Amblin because it was a Steven Spielberg directed film that led to the creation of PG-13. This Temple of Doom. It, Temple of Doom. Yeah, because yeah, it was like, well, we can't. This is not going to make money if it's R. Yeah, the best Indiana Jones movie. I'm not touching <laughs> that with a 10 foot whip. Um, but I think overall, I had a good time with this, minus the fact that there was a family behind me who decided to talk throughout the entire film. Don't do that. If you do that. Just stop listening to the podcast because I don't want you listening. Um, I'm being aggressive about that, but it really <laughs> does bother me. The only times I can say it didn't was ironically during the pandemic when every Warner Brothers film was also on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So I knew I could go back and just watch it at home to absolute silence. <laughs> well, and so uh, I don't think that jaded my perspective on the film. I was very much looking forward to this. I thought that David Sandberg did a great job with the first one, given a character who can be ridiculous. I think the we talked about it with James Gunn, the sentiment and the dramatic scenes were handled so well, particularly with Asher Angel's relationship with the foster family and his birth mother. I thought that was really fantastic. And I think the tonal balance in this film does not ne- succeed nearly as well as the first one. Mm-hmm. We have an inconsistency with who we get to see as Billy, which I think really does hurt the film in grounding that emotional center. Yeah, I think um, that uh, uh, Zachary Levi um, 
does not carry the character arc as well as because a lot of the character changes were Asher in the first mm-hmm. one, and it felt like that because they split time in this one, a lot of that character. I don't think it's even split. Like that might be a minor spoiler. It's two to like two thirds to one mm-hmm. in in overall in this, and I think when you, it's ironic we can get into specific spoilers about where they happen to use the younger versions. But part of it to me felt like we cast these adults. We're going to use them. And the uniqueness of Shazam slash Captain Marvel, if you want to go all the way back, I mean, he was still Captain Marvel in justice league unlimited, which is a great episode of the television series. If you really want to see a fight with Superman and Shazam and well, no, Black Adam was never in Justice unfortunately. <laughs> they weren't allowed to use that character. But the inconsistency with that, I think, hurts the film in grounding it. And it the big turning into Superman, I'm referencing the Tom Hanks movie, another weird movie from the 80s, if you want to analyze that really, uh, yeah. significantly. It's, it's very weird. But uh, Zoltar, don't do that to me. But... When you have that inconsistency with the cast, what makes the a lot of the best Amblin films was they were about kids. Mm-hmm. E.T. Goonies, shout out to Kiwi Kwan uh, who just won who won an Oscar. Um, well, and Data, the, and ironically, the the best parts of this one too were like the best moments were all delivered by the younger cast. Yeah. I felt like, and so the ones that they let have their moments i was like wow this is really like carrying the movie um and then so it was a little bit odd that um they put certain storytelling burdens on the actors that weren't carrying the emotional weight as well yeah the only character who has was is able to carry it through and i don't think she's given a ton to do is mary because it's the same actress just based on age Mm -hmm the character eventually doesn't. And this is one of the issues you run into when you're making Shazam yeah. movies. Your Billy's eventually going to grow up. I thought, and so I thought where the, sorry, I keep interrupting, but um, where, that's okay, um, go ahead. but where Billy and Shazam had a pretty good split in the first one, um, Freddie, um, and his, uh, adult, his, his Shazam version. Um, is there, does that character have a name? The captain, captain, every power. So technically, he is supposed to be if I it's just Captain Marvel Junior. Captain Marvel Junior. Oh, that is um, that's funny. Okay, yeah, uh, that's a reference in the movie. Um, spoiler yeah. alert. But um, I thought that he had a a far like his arc. I think potentially rivaled what what Billy was given in the first movie, and a lot of that mm-hmm. is because they let the actor carry it, and there was a much more seamless um interplay between. Um, between Freddy and Captain Marvel Jr. It felt like the same character a lot more. Well, let's get into spoilers because like the nitty gritty of this, like overall, mm-hmm. I think the movie's like we're, we're on the same similar similar page where it's fun. I think it's it has some of the spectacle you expect for something like this. It certainly has some of those darker underbelly tones from somebody like David Sandberg, who yeah. was in horror for quite a while. So those elements are still present, which I appreciated. It's a bigger cast just because of having more of the Shazam family in it more frequently. So like, it's fun. I mean, unfortunately yeah. due to the box office, it doesn't look like a lot of people yeah. went to it, but I think I would, it's the, the last thing I would say for this non-spoiler would be that it's, 
um, I could probably get really cynical and negative about it. Like there, 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 there is a, I, I can see like really digging into some kind of hard hitting criticisms of it. And that version of, of my review would feel really like missing the point. Like, it's just not that movie. Like, this is not that movie that's asking for that level of engagement. Like, this is a movie that, like, like if I saw it, like I said, my seven-year-old would love it. I'm not going to leave the theater with him being like, man, that character arc just, like, like <laughs> no, it's not. It was fun. It was, it had cool, it had, it had cool stuff. And, like, it wasn't, it what maybe not wasn't quite the first one, but I don't think it, it's not worth my, my ire to, um to, like, really go too hard on it. Well, and that's the state of whatever they're, the product. And I'm, at the end of the day, these are all products. They're trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. It's admission, ticket admission to the film. If the movie is successful on selling you on what it's supposed to be, then you're going to be less critical of it. And like, there are mm-hmm. elements of this where it certainly does do that. But when you have the first film to look as that's the indicator of what to expect from this unit, like from this specific franchise, yeah. When it misses some of those points that it already had done prior, I think you're right. Like it's fair to be critical of those things. And you can go with this with a fine tooth comb of the expectation being higher, but ultimately well, uh, I'm judging this based on what we know of these, of the two yeah. films. And I think Sandberg, the strength of the first one that I said, and then all that carries through to this one, in a lot of ways Sandberg knows exactly what these films are that he's making. Um, and and I think delivers on on kind of his vision for it. The um, biggest thing that kind of holds back, but like this, these Shazam and Shazam: Fury of the Gods as as a, this its own independent franchise would be far better if he was allowed to make them outside of the DC EU, and the the shoehorning of it into the universe and everything that goes along with that makes it this really weird redheaded stepchild of tone and style and canon that was entirely unnecessary that if he had just been allowed to go out and, and cook his own uh, recipe out without having to like worry about all these, any connections or any total consistencies or anything, the discussion surrounding these movies would be entirely different, but because well, if it was more new line than Warner brothers, right? Yeah. That's the, the, one of the things I laugh at. You see both, of those studio logos in front. If this was more new line, mm-hmm. you're right. It's completely protected from this criticism. Yeah. Which is certain. I mean, we can get into some of the criticisms and particularly some certain characters appearances. <laughs> so if you do not want to be spoiled for Shazam, we are about to get into that. So maybe go see it and then you can come back or just skip, listen through and hear some of the issues we have with the film. So here are our spoilers for Shazam Fury of the Gods. Before we get into that, honestly, if we get a third one, which given the financial lack of success, unfortunately, to this all time low, I believe for an opening of a DCEU movie, which, again, we can get into it being shoehorned all time for non non pandemic, the suicide squad and the suicide squad and and what over 1984 both opened lower birds Mm -hmm. of prey opened to 33. So just above. Um, so yeah, (laughs) it is. So I wanted to have this conversation with you and I don't want it to sound petty, which I'm really hoping it does not come off that way. But we talk about 
the too many cooks in the kitchen, which is, I believe, the analogy you were talking about with the recipes Mm -hmm. and that this the first film at all worked to the level that it did is an achievement in its own right. I hope Dave Sandberg gets to do if he wants to do something to this level again, he gets that opportunity because I think he clearly has something to say. We talked about James Gunn and what he's going to do with Superman. Ultimately, if your director has something interesting to say, that's a great first step. Obviously you need a great script, Mm. but well, did you, you saw that he said he's done though. Yes, I did. Yes. And I did see that, which is a great, you know, that's how you know that there he said, he's proud of it, but for a director, the opening weekend of a movie to be like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore is says a lot about the, situation yeah if he had taken one step further he could have tranked it and been like a year ago i had a great <laughs> cut of this movie uh that's a fan forstic reference yeah um but i think the what's a, in my opinion the string that strung this movie up and hung it ultimately was the rock yeah in this franchise that i can respect wanting to do a film with it but as somebody who is a big Fast and Furious fan, and there has been criticism of how Vin, D- Vin Diesel acts on set with writers, producers, directors, there is a reason Justin Lin dropped off making those two films, the final two films. And we've heard things from The Rock to some degree. You're not going to hear people bad talk The Rock, and that's not what I want to do here. But the fact that that villain was never in these films referenced very minimally in the first film, not a reference in this film at all. Mm -hmm. Like to expect that we were going to get Shazam three battle of the champions or something ultimately killed both of these franchises because they had nothing interesting to build to black Adam fighting Superman. I don't care. Imagine if the, if the post credits to the first one had been a black Adam tease. Or if, um, or if the post credits, like, like, forget Cavill. Imagine if the, like, I know that Cavill was a, a, that was all sorts of corporate chess going on with that. But what if it was Shazam instead of Cavill at the end of, uh, um, at the end of Black Adam or something? Like, people act like that, people don't care about that. But I think that that there would have been enough excitement over, over that confrontation to, to, to give this, like, yeah, Cavill. They wanted to make they, as I always said, they, the Rock was trying to make himself the heel to Superman. Um, and you can't you can't do that with Shazam. But this little corner of the DCU, as James Gunn referred to it, um, would I think be alive and well if they had sparked a little bit of rivalry there. And instead, there's just like two ships in the night. One Black Adam never got to actually be the heel. And that's one of the failures of that film is he's like, he's an ant. No, he's a fill in. There's a reason the wizard Shazam went. Oof. I messed up that one. I got to pick somebody different. And ultimately like we understand why he chooses Billy, but you talk about kicking the can down the road. I kind of knew that these films were going to be a disaster just in terms of having like the deaf leading the blind or the blind leading the deaf. When these were the only two films they had at Comic-Con, both actors were there and you can read into the potential that they, Henry Cavill was going to appear and then he had COVID. That's besides the point. The fact that they never teased an actual thing with these two characters, it was all hypothetical stuff. 
well, and not, the rock saying not only wouldn't tease it but but would actively down like like you said they were both at comic-con all you got to do is like put them both on a stage and be like i don't know maybe one day but like no they they put they were putting effort into like don't talk about them at the same time these are two like they might as well have been different universes like it's just weird yeah the only real difference between these two films ultimately is one of them got to see Henry Cavill from the neck up. <laughs> like, like they're not going to be financially successful if you know about the analytics. And Steven on Twitter is a great follow if you want to see how movie <laughs> uh, box office analytics work. It's going to be your third job. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, well, you worked into some articles on Screen Rant, but um, with Avatar and Top Gun. But, yeah, it's it's ultimately disappointing. And... What this film does right, we talked about it, was the use of Freddy. Jack Dylan Grazer was great in this movie. Yeah. And one of the mainstays of what was so great about the first Shazam, having him love being a superhero and wanting to do it completely fits with this character, given the fact that he's somebody who's constantly being bullied at school and now has these abilities and wants to use them for good, completely fits in and continues that character's arc. Yeah. Well, and, and his and, and his interplay with Adam Brody too was, um, was like that like the the rooftop scene where they're switching back and forth. It actually felt yeah. like like the the gag where like they uh, um I can't think of another movie that like they've they've done that that gag and, and it's a very it's like an eighties gag where Superman does it where he's clark yeah. and superman and he's on two separate dates okay um i, I i've not seen superman four intentionally um but um <laughs> i would but yeah but it, it, that's a very you know it's a very 80s thing and oh mrs doubtfire yeah yeah he, he's mrs doubtfire and he's and he's is it jack um but in in those cases they are it's actually the same character like doing a wardrobe change or whatever yeah and even though it's two different actors that energy was very much present in that scene where he even felt like he'd come out and he felt frazzled, like as if he had just had to run and, and come out. And so, whereas like, I don't, I don't despise Zachary Levi as Shazam, but the second, like it's not, there's moments where I can see him like impersonating Asher, but um, it's not, does not feel like the same character, especially with the older version of Asher. It's like Asher, Billy changed and, um, and Shazam didn't. Shazam is still behaving like the younger version of Billy. Well, the limited screen time with Asher, particularly, I think especially prevents that grounding of Shazam's character, like Billy as Shazam. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember listening to a podcast with Adam Brody, where he talked about when you're that character, like, they're supposed to be 17, but you're kind of playing it like 12, but not really like you're trying to find that healthy balance of immaturity. Yeah. And in not spending enough time with Asher, I really do think it paints Zachary Levi's performance as more cartoonish because you don't have anything grounding him. Mm -hmm. His best scene is at the end of the movie. Ironically, it's a clip in, I think, the final trailer where we see him talk to Rosa mm -hmm. like that. And it's the inconsistency and it's I think that's the best way to describe this film as a whole for me is they introduce interesting plot elements, particularly with him aging out 
and not wanting like the clear abandonment issues that this character has given the fact that his mom and his father want nothing to do with him. Well, you know, the, the, the and it seemed it's dropped for most of the, you know, movie. the thing that would fix his character like in a, in one scene, um, a scene with super <laughs> is, uh, um, did you, did you ever watch, um, how I met your mother? Yeah, I did. Um, I own all of okay. it. I own all of the books. There, as there well, we go. Somewhere. The books, they were How I Met Your Mother books. So they released at the end of season four. No, three. Yeah, because it's in season. Oh, no. I won a How I Met Your Mother trivia contest. <laughs> and I can't remember. The bro code. They released a physical bro okay. code. Oh, oh, oh. And then they. Re- so books, not. No, the bro code's in so season So it's not like three. a novelization of the show. It's no, a, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> and then they released a playbook. Mm hmm. And then they released Bro Code on the Go, which okay. was like a So I'm glad version. I picked this thing, so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. What, the the episode will. when Barney met his real dad. Um, oh, well, yeah. Not his, uh, played actually, by Jim. Sorry, no. I should say not his real dad. When he met um, who he thought was his real dad, but it was um, it was uh, his stepbrother's real dad. Oh, um, it was uh, Wayne Brady's Wayne dad. Brady's dad. Um, yes. And, and he's playing the Barney character that entire episode. And they're like, they, like towards the end, he's like, just let me do this. I can't remember what the line is, but he's, he's playing the character. And then there's a moment where he drops it and he's like, I know, I know what reality is. I just, this is easier for me. Um, well, yeah, he's playing it as a child and he's with. Um, like, look at me run and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and it's a great episode. And, and that, that was such a huge moment for me with the whole, for embracing the whole show, but especially that character, because it revealed then when you're watching it for the rest of the time, you realize it's the same thing with in the office where there's the one time when Michael Scott, I think it was the Survivor Man episode where he tells Jim, he's like, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, he's got to, and you're like, oh, wait, does Michael know that he's, is he playing, is Michael playing a character the whole time? Because he knows that's how to make the office work. Um, well, yeah, the setup for Barney is in game night when you realize like it's a, it's a shield from like, he doesn't want to get hurt. And so, right. Um, exactly. And so the thing with, with, with Shazam is that the way that Zachary Levi plays the character is as if Asher is pretending to be an adult. So he's playing like he's pretending to make his voice deeper. And it's very much like a, how a kid would act like an adult, which yeah, puff which, out your chest. Yeah, exactly. Which is is when you realize that that's what he's doing, it's like, oh, that's smart. But there's not a moment where he drops it to then have a baseline of, oh, this is how Billy acts when he's not pretending to be an adult. Um, and and if they had ha- put that in there, so the rest of it had the context of, oh, he's puffing his chest out, he's deepening his voice, he's pretending to be Shazam, whereas no. Zachary Levi is just a new body for a kid still. He's still got those kid emotions, the, the, the teenager emotions. He's still got the teenager issues. Um, so even Zachary Levi is a, is a, is a performance for Billy. Um, and so all it's so like in that moment with, in the, like with, uh, with the stepmother, for example, was, would be the scene to do that or, or, or maybe a little bit earlier, but they just need that moment for him to have that, that, that Barney moment of, I know. I know I'm just well, trying to be so a hero well with Mary, right? Mm-hmm. We have that scene with them in the rock of eternity where they have this conversation about being like him, getting them 
not or cutting him loose because once he turns 18, he's a legal adult and no longer covered by, I guess, foster care yeah. grants or rather. And that's your opportunity. Everyone's gone. Like it's just Mary who even in the first one or Freddie to some degree. And one element that I did not enjoy that I thought was an interesting plot aspect was the characters losing their powers and that could have been a really awesome, serious thing to dive into, mm-hmm. but it becomes kind of a gag. Yeah. To some degree. Like I would see Jack Dylan Al- Grazer. Although actor. it does set them up though, to be for the, the kids to shine in that third act. Whereas they, yes, that's um, true. With the most metal unicorns. Yeah, of all time. exactly. Taste the rainbow. <laughs> that's <mother>. David Sandberg <laughs> like, all over yeah. it. All these Greek monsters. I went, Oh Yeah. There's Sandberg. Yeah. I remember what the seven deadly sins looked like. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's I, I, I want to know if there's a different cut of this film or if it came down to. And I don't know, maybe if they had another shot at making it. Um, There's a reference in there if you're following any particular people <laughs> on Twitter um, about like Zachary Levi being the star. Because mm-hmm. I remember, at least with the first film, him, like Zachary and Asher were all in the press together, yeah. right? Like it was, they were Shazam, yeah. right? Like one is the other. And when you don't have that dichotomy of like, even with the veil being lifted of the performance of being a, a, a man, yeah. that my invocation, my emotional investment in the film was significantly less Mm -hmm. than the previous one, which again, you talk about why people use the term Amblin to describe the, like the emotional reactions of fright, love, and just joy. Cause, and it's the, this balance that is very difficult for movies to hit because this doesn't, this falls into a more typical blockbuster and it loses what made it the first one special. Well, and it's, it's, I don't know if it just comes, it's, act or just line reading or what but like um because it even starts out like if you look at the script it's got what we're talking about in there like in the opening scene when he's uh, is it the opening when he's um at the pediatrician's office look at like look at the way he plays that yeah he's in a pediatrician's office but he's still performing as shazam when like if there's a time frame either make that billy or um have him be more vulnerable in that moment to give that some grounding, but literally the, in every single moment of Zachary Levi's performance is, is, is the performative uh, version of Shazam. And there's, there's no vulnerability or like lifting the curtain on. Don't forget. This is a 17 year old boy feeling like he has the responsibility of a man holding the family together. You know, like you talk about an orphan, like, 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 yeah, cut out everything, the way they did the movie. And you look at that character arc, on paper, it's great. It's a phenomenal extension of what they did in the first movie about, oh, he's trying to keep the family together. They're all out. He's in the body of a man, but he he doesn't have a father figure to know what that looks like. You know, there's all these things to that that kind of tie into the way that they do it. But then it's just kind of glazed over with this um, Zachary Levi just acting like a boy pretending to be a man the entire time. When when he's alone is also opportunities for that veiled yeah. not, like after he has his weird dream 
from the wizard sending him. And I, honestly, I did enjoy the nut, like the, the Jaimon Hansu <laughs> face on. Gal it was Gadot. unsettling. I was, like I couldn't laugh at it, it but was, I enjoyed it. Like <laughs> it was very unsettling is the best description. Of and that. it wouldn't, it wouldn't but, go away. I was like, okay, I get it. Let's <laughs> it just kept happening. Yeah. And so there's an opportunity for like, like what is happening? We have Asher and that's when we get to see some of the dichotomy like of that performance, mm-hmm. but I might as we might as well get to it. So this has more significant connections to the DCU EU. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're almost done with uh, the E, but we'd straight up just get a scene with Wonder Woman. It's not a post credit scene, which I honestly didn't have a ton of issues with this moment, given the fact that we're talking about the Greek gods and all their connections. And to some degree that does kind of answer some questions about Themyscira to why we haven't seen actual, any actual gods outside of air. Uh Like there are, it does fill in some of the canon in an interesting way, but I, an Amblin movie ends with him dead. Yeah. And then has the post credit scene of him being brought back to life. Well, there was something weird in the, the pacing. I mean, even the fact that like they introduced her with like the full on blaring Wonder Woman, like you think they could have done like the the softer, mysterious cello version from like from BVS, um, where uh, like the and instead of like j- just full on Junkie XL, no, it's like, full electric cello. Um, and and it's weird because it is it's. I don't mind it necessarily as, as a plot point. It's just weird. Cause it's like, ah, the plot of the movie is resolved. And now here's this extra scene to undo that with a big cameo. It's a deus ex machina. Like when also, and now he Sandberg said that it was wonder woman from the beginning in the script, but that that's an area where I was saying like, you know, who would have made a lot of sense to be like, Oh, the staff needs to be repowered. It needs to like, you know, who would have made a lot of sense to be the person to come in and like recharge that staff black adam like you want to like you want to find a way to like incorporate him into this universe as like an anti-hero who he's got the power of the wizard right like there's very much a oh hey look here's that like i'm and i'm not saying i don't know if that necessarily would have been better but like that that isn't a a good example of like there is a lot of places where like there could have been more continuity between these and like cameo opportunities that was just not at all um explored like it's it um, I don't know. We did get though. We did, Stephen, get some significant connections to Black Adam with the second post-credit scene, uh, where we yeah. had <laughs> we had uh, recruitment for the JSA. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. <laughs> like, but I I understand given the state of DC in the film space they wanted to get ahead of everything but that cameo and i'm not like this is not a conversation about jennifer holland and her her work in the dc eu or you i i don't actually care it's interesting but i don't actually care about that but we've mentioned it already with things getting cut from the flash i understand that because of this is vestigial connections to the dceu i mean more significant with the wonder woman cast or uh cameo but 
Are you... <laughs> are you telling me we're getting a justice society? Like, that is... Well, that was the plan with, I, with, uh, with Black Adam. Black Adam. <laughs> but cut it! Yeah. Well, that's one of those things where it's like... Stuff doesn't have to have post credits. Like there, there's just this weird. Like these are. This is how you do these movies now. It's got to have two. Post- and it's like just. No, they don't. Just don't. Do the Doctor Savannah one and the Worm. Just do that yeah. again, and I would have been completely content. Yeah. Like, hey, remember me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like that's uh-huh. it. Because, I, and you've talked about this. I've talked about this at length. Post credit scenes that mean nothing. That's become the MCU's bread and butter Mm -hmm. until otherwise, which is unfortunate. But I just sitting there through these, we're like, okay, I guess. And ironically, James Gunn had like 19 in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume (laughs) 2 that were a complete waste of time. But they used to be just fun teases for something that actually was going to be happening. If you're going to be overly editing these movies and cameos that we don't want to mean stuff, you have one referencing a character where the introduction to the justice society of America was black Adam. Like did the rock say, yeah, you can have this. Like I just, it, it baffles me and it confuses me and ultimately it disappoints me because I still, even though I didn't love either film would become, would be totally on board for a rock versus Zachary Levi movie because at least those have two characters that I want to see fight. Yeah. And, and and you'd like to see either of them beat the other one up. Like uh, per, their personal views, like on it, like everybody's entitled to them. Some of one of the actors don't, I don't agree with, but again, it's just that. And we talk about on paper. That's a great story. You one of the compelling elements of this, I'm apologize to our listeners if it sounds like I'm shouting, is that one of I mean, it's in the back third, but where Billy doesn't think he was he should have been the champion chosen. And ultimately, we do get a cool resolution to that with a a very. I don't know if you noticed the fact that a guy with superpowers was flying towards something with a sharp pointy (laughs) stick. Yeah. What that could be potentially referencing <coughs> BVS, but well, um, the shot looked very much like an homage to me. I I, I have a hard time believing that he that wasn't a, a direct homage. I would love if it was a complete accident. <laughs> like if David Sandberg already recorded his commentary for this, that would bring me so much joy. <laughs> but that you could continue that storyline if S Shazam three was ever planned. I who mm-hmm. knows, but have some conclusion to this. Honestly, I would be okay with that as an Elseworlds. I know we talked about this in our Super Bowl episode about the Flash kind of having some, like tying a ribbon on the Snyder verse aspect of the DCEU. I don't like things being unfinished. And even though I didn't love this movie, I would like some finality to it, which I don't think we're going to get at this point, given the uh, ultimately the financial success. I actually don't think Rotten Tomatoes matters very much if the movie makes money. Yeah, well, it's got a good because it's got a good audience score. score. So I did a a piece a few yeah. years ago that I com- I took all the top streaming and the top box office movies of the year, and there was basically no correlation to the critic score, but there was a strong correlation to audience score. So 
Those critics see movies yeah. great. So um, the the ultimate performance of a movie tends to be more influenced by audience than uh, than than uh, than, than re- critic reviews. Um, but speaking of me doing analytics, I did a Rotten Tomatoes breakdown on this one also, and it was interesting because it got like a twenty six percent top critic score and a 50 i think it's at 53 now but it was like 54% at the time that I did the analysis overall um which is the biggest split between top critics and like all critics of any DCEU movie and i and the, Rotten Tomatoes doesn't do the present the score this way but i split it out to say top critics non top critics audience and actually audiences um gave it like an 80 80 something percent um which is higher than the dcu average it's only a couple points lower than the first Shazam for audience score actually and then um the the critics minus top critics is also fresh it's like a 62 63 percent something like that um and so it's actually it's the top critics being so much more negative that all the other like as a as a vote like a voting block it's weird how there's a clean split between like the excessive negativity of the top critics that's what drug the score down into no no not that 62 percent fresh is like the hottest fresh score ever but it is an interesting like that certified fresh stamp of approval certainly i'm curious what how much weight it covers but this has to be something that i think affected this which is the And again, we are deep into film Twitter and audience stuff, but it seemed like for the most part, like I'm just I'd love to know because I didn't obviously talk to the other patrons at my screening that did you know or I wonder if people that like the marketing for this seemed to be fine to some degree. I don't feel like I was was pretty poor. I also I think they saved some I'm of the of the impression they tried to save some budget on uh, it seemed very under marketed. Yeah, minimal to some mm-hmm. degree, but also people knowing it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like we're getting to the flash. We're going to have two other films that may have nothing to do with this reset. And then we're starting new. Well, and here's the here's the weird thing for me, I think, is that uh, the first one came out in 2019. Right. But so there was a big kind of lull after Justice League and Aquaman. Uh, well, I mean, there's a year until Aquaman after Justice League. 2017 and then um i think this one was the next after aquaman right just a few months later um it would have, yeah because that that was so, yeah because it was march of 2019 and so yeah. it arrived at that time still where justice league initially you know nobody would say anything um positive about that movie today um but at the time reviews were all like oh it's a step in the right direction because you tend to get this thing with critics where they they try to influence the. Uh, this is my impression of it, I guess. I don't know, but um, people like to say they're paid by Disney or whatever, paid by Warner Brothers. Like it's not any of that, but they will. They they'll have an opinion about what a franchise should be, and they'll and they'll try to kind of shape that with their their critical consensus. And so with with Justice League, there was a, a lot of softballs thrown on the reviews for that, saying saying, "Oh, it's not perfect, but it's a step in the right direction. It's an improvement over Batman v Superman." Almost nobody agrees with that anymore today, but at the time they were incentivized um, or they, they felt incentivized to say like, oh, this is what they should be. 
So Shazam arrived also, and so the, I feel like that got a little bit more positive reviews because it was still a part of that wave of like, oh yes, let's encourage this version of this of of this franchise. Let's encourage the lighter, more positive stuff. And so I think that's what's weird, especially with the top critics being so there's like such a clear drop from the top critic score on this. There feels to be very much a like, let's put another shovel of dirt over the over the grave of this franchise and and move on. Whereas I I don't. That's why I say like if this was enti- if this was its own franchise, I feel like people would be like, oh, it's this nice thing that's disconnected from the DC or the Marvel universes that we can just enjoy for what it is. But I think that reviews kind of saw the situation as permission, if not encouragement to say like, Oh, this doesn't matter. Let's bury it, which has nothing to do with what their critical review should be evaluating. That's not what has nothing to do with a movie yeah. either. Like a movie's justifying ex- is its own existence should be just the quality. And, of and, the and, movie. and that's, I'm doing a little bit of mind reading there. Cause it's not like the reviews themselves said this doesn't matter, but there is a sense of like, Sometimes critics are willing to take jabs that it's like, it feels like you're only taking that jab because you know the studio isn't going to be mad for you being that negative, right? Like there's people will, will pull pull punches or, or, or something where there's it. I don't know. There's something about the reviews for this that, that are are not that it deserved like, you know, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes or anything, but there's a sense when I'm, when I read and I go through the reviews where it's like, it, there's, there's a level of negativity. It's like, what did this movie do to earn that level of like vitriol from, from critics and somebody's tweets may have <laughs> contributed to that. To some Maybe, degree. but I feel like that's something that they're usually more willing to openly acknowledge if it impacts their review though. Um, Maybe. Whereas this level of like, I'm just going to say me ec- excessively mean things about this. Um, for um for like kicking it when it's down and it's it's i don't i don't think it deserved that level of negativity and the only thing that i can think of is is that they feel the 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 situation with the it just kind of being put out to pasture feels like they have permission to to um just kind of go to town on it well and we'll certainly get to test this theory i wouldn't say mo- more so with Shazam not Shazam with mm-hmm. Flash but with Aquaman yeah. at the end of the yeah. year Exactly, like because that film, the first film, I think, totally fits in with your theory of kind of just like, yo, it's fun, yeah. and that, yeah, exactly. Right? And it's like, don't be too hard on it. We want to, we don't want to discourage them from this, from this pivot. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. tried. Okay, it, it wasn't, so, it yeah, wasn't like Zack have... Snyder. So that's we want to encourage that. They didn't dolphin yeah. click. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. I think Shazam, if you are somebody who enjoys just the spectacle, it certainly has it. It's got some good performances. Ultimately, it's it's ironic because its villains are completely forgettable. Like they're fun in the film, but they don't have anything compelling to do. Mm-hmm. There's some heel turns to some degree that don't really make any sense. And it's just disappointing. I think, again, you're totally right. If this was in its own little pocket and could just play in its own sandbox and not be beholden to other things... I think we would have had a really interesting universe here that may have at some point included Black Adam, but but even if it didn't, I, I would still even if it didn't. Yeah, that's true. You could use other JSA content like in that yeah. realm. That would have been or really, just to have really Shazam fun. exist in a world without other superheroes. Like I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't despise the DCU connections. It just feels like it, it, it really taints a lot of the opinions on it because people are either 
judging it as a rejection of that universe or on how well it embraced. And, and I don't looking at this in the context of other DCEU movies is the does nothing but make it seem worse. And looking at it for its as its own thing, um, it's way more easy to enjoy that way to me. I totally agree with that. That will wrap up our spoiler review slash discussion of Shazam Fury of the Gods. Steven, thank you so much for being on the show. I think I said it already, but I'm going to say it again. You can find Steven on Twitter at SM Colbert and his written work on ScreenRant.com. And if you enjoy Steven's discussions on the DCEU, you can follow the Snyder Minute content, which is currently working through Batman versus Superman by the minute. There's also extra stuff for the other Zack Snyder directed films. I can't wait for uh, Legend of the Guardians, uh, <laughs> Owls of Calhoun. Uh, I just watched that uh, Gahul. Gahul I, I just wa- I just watched that uh, last weekend. Nice. So there's yeah. some incredible slow motion in that film. Oh yeah. It didn't vis- with just visual. I mean, it's computer animation. It's absolutely stellar. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I know that I was trying to figure out what am I seeing? I just remembered I have tickets for this already. Next week's episode will be a review of John wick chapter four. No subtitle. They got rid of that. They only did it for one film. So I am, uh, I'm looking forward to reviewing, reviewing that the following week will be a review of dungeons and dragons among thieves, among us, among thieves. Honor Among Thieves. Honor Among Thieves. <laughs> among Thieves is a... That's an Uncharted video game. Uh, I'm still Naughty Dog Brain after The Last of Us. Uh, so you can check that out there. I'm, of course, Kyle Naranya. That's at Kyle underscore Naranya on Twitter. You can tweet me there. You can tweet at the show, at Film Realist. Don't forget, Realist has two E's. That does it for the show. I will see you next time. <laughs>